the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode three of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam. (laughs) From Third Window Films. And yeah, this podcast is a celebration of all things Third Window Films uh, from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam himself. (laughs) Yo, yo, yo. So welcome back. This is it. This is our final episode of 2021. It's been a hell of a year. (laughs) Would you agree? And just man, just managed to get it in uh, in 2021 as well because we all, every month we say we're going to get it done at the beginning of the month and get it all sorted and then it just drags out and we just managed to get it before the year ended. So um, yes, very lucky and we, we could get it done. Mate, it is ridiculous. I cannot believe we struggle to get one a month done. But yeah, hopefully, I mean, that's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions is to make sure that I get better <laughs> organized at this with you. Um, but yeah, so we're recording this um, on the 28th, so Christmas has been and gone, New Year's just around the corner. Um, I guess the first thing should be is like, you know, how was your Christmas? <laughs> I actually had, for my first time in Japan, a proper Japanese Christmas in the fact that I actually got Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> yeah. and, awesome. uh, I mean, I don't know if you know, but... um. In Japan, I, I be, it's become a tradition from many years back. The Japanese people eat Kentucky Fried Chicken for Christmas. Yeah, they, there's something like millions of buckets sold every year, right? For Christmas, for um, yeah, for, just mean, for Christmas, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and people, you usually have to it's to um, line up for about a a few weeks before Christmas in order to reserve your Christmas chicken and then pick it up around the time of Christmas and. Uh, you know, I've always thought it was very, very silly because obviously it is because who the hell would eat Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas? But the Japanese have obviously uh, been uh, beaten by a major corporation advertising and marketing. And uh, they somehow think that uh, Christmas equals Kentucky Fried Chicken. And um, this year I was babysitting a friend, uh, son for Christmas, and his mother came back with Kentucky Fried Chicken. So it was the uh, the first time I had a official Japanese Christmas. And to be honest... Kentucky Fried Chicken is not very na- tasty. Um, I don't know when the last time you had it, but like I thought, you know, maybe I I, I haven't had it in many many years. Uh, it it would have been a bit nicer than than because you know McDonald's. I had McDonald's for the first time in years the other day, and it was really nice. Right. And I thought Kentucky Fried Chicken, like, yeah, maybe it's really nice because McDonald's is all that junk food is nice, of course. Uh, but it wasn't, and I was no. very disappointed. I I have it usually about maybe once a month and it's usually after a really long run where I'm just craving just like fats and you know um and yeah I I always really enjoy it but um maybe it's cuz so many people are ordering on the same day they can't give you the quality that they used to I don't know well apparently the only reason that my friend could have picked up this Kentucky fried chicken because she didn't reserve it she was out in town and she passed by a Kentucky Fried Chicken and just, I think, just put her head in just to see. And they had made too much KFC this year. More, more because they expected a lot more orders and maybe because of, of COVID and all that, uh, they weren't fulfilled. So she managed to get it and she was, wow, I've managed to get the KFC on Christmas. And I thought, no, there's no way that... W- when did you reserve it? It must have been weeks ago, months ago. And she goes, no, I just uh, I picked it up on the way home. And I thought, wow, uh, 
you know that's that's a first and then uh, and then I was disappointed but uh <laughs> well well that's a fitting end to 2021 then I suppose <laughs> yes I hope you your how was your your Christmas sir? yeah it was good thank you mate thank you yeah um obviously my, my daughter's nearly two now so she's just about picking up what's going on around her and uh we couldn't go near my family last year because they were shielding because um, of health issues so yeah this was the first like family Christmas we've had since my daughter was born so that was really nice um yeah, I drank way too much Prosecco, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun, and yeah, mince now pies? it's the kind of, mince pies is not big for me, actually, no, I'll have a Yule log, though. <laughs> a what? A Yule log, you know that? It's, know. Like a, it's like a big chocolate log. Um, ah, I think I do know, uh, now that you mention it, I just didn't, the name didn't click. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that was it. I mean, got sport rotten. I was, I felt really touched this year. A lot of people, uh, I think, because it's been quite a hard year. I think they all like, felt sorry for me, <laughs> so I wanted to, <laughs> to to get me some quality media. So I got some really cool Blu-rays and a few, you know, PS Five games and stuff. So that was that was really nice. Yeah, you have had a very uh, every time. I mean, just speaking today, uh, you just mentioned that, that you might have broken your foot, and I thought, uh, <laughs> yes, when it rains, it pours. But uh, you you have had a very very tough year, and I hope that that uh, 2022 is better for you. Well, mate, I appreciate it. You've been um, one of the shining highlights of my year for sure. So I do appreciate it. Um, and yeah, that's probably a good place to start, actually, because uh, I mean, initially we were going to do a big episode on Obayashi, right? Because that was your release this year. But obviously, we've got we're coming towards the end of the year now, and um, the the box set is out. So I thought we should start with just doing a little retrospective on all the releases you've done this year, because it's been a pretty good year for you, right? Yeah, surprisingly. Um, initially, when the year started off, obviously, um, with COVID and all that, it was it was I was a bit worried about uh, how this year would pan out, and at the same time. You know, COVID is also, and Brexit has caused a lot of issues in terms of suppliers and in terms of um, companies like Sony have, have all upped their prices. And the warehouse that we were storing a lot of our titles in with Arrow up their prices as well. And we had to move warehouse and uh, and then Arrow up their prices as well. So it, I was at the beginning of the year. I mean, I actually didn't release any films for the first few months of the year. And I thought, what am I going to do with all these new prices? It's going to be a lot harder and it's going I've got to think of, of more and more ways to sort of get around things. And uh, once I started getting the releases out there, it ended up being one every month from uh, from um, April or, or March, uh, I believe. And uh, yeah, I think it was quite a nice variety of films this year that uh, I managed to get out, especially towards the end of the year. I think with the, with the Toyota and the Obayashi box sets, um, I'm quite proud of, uh, of the work that I did. And I think next year is going to be even stronger, to be honest. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've seen what you've got planned for the first half at least, and it is so cool. That's going to be wicked. Well, let's start with the um, Nobuhiko Obayashi box set then, because, I mean, it's one of the things that you sent to me quite early on. You kind of said, can you help me out and watch one of the check discs for this? And I was like, absolutely. You know, these are films I haven't seen before, so I'll go for it. And yeah, like every one of them is really beautiful, really well made, uh, you know, really emotionally resonant, but very long as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this box set is huge. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about how he came about and, and what you think about it. Initially, my plan was not to put out those uh, films. I mean, I had put out Hanagatami a couple of years back and and... 
after Hanagatami, I actually wanted to go back into his his eighties catalog, um, which is the films a lot of more people uh, wanted to see. I, I'd imagine like uh, Girl Who Left Through Time and uh, The Aimed Classroom, uh, her mo- her motorbike, uh, His Island, which I, I think uh, you saw as well recently. Um, didn't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, I wanted to do a bit of homework on him because apart from seeing Houseu, I didn't know any of it. Um, and yeah, I started off with his motorbike, Her Island, which is from 1986. But then I thought, do you know what? I don't have much time, but I want to do as much as possible. So I did one from the 60s, which was um, a short film called Emotion that he he shot while he was doing, uh, I think, some sort of uh, Calvin Klein commercial or something stupid <laughs> like that. Um, and then I rewatched Haosu, which is obviously just amazing. Um, what else did I see? I saw Sada, which is basically... Um, that that story from uh, oh forgive me I've I've completely forgotten um, in the realm of the senses, um, which was really interesting. Uh, yeah yeah yeah. So he's got, had like a kind of crazy career, and then obviously you've got the later ones as well with Labyrinth of Cinema and, and the Anti War trilogy. Yeah, and he's had a crazy career, and everybody knows him because of House, but none of his films have been released outside of Japan. Uh, so you know it's. Everybody knows of him, but but nobody's seen any of his films. I mean, of course, uh, some of them have been pirated, but there's been no official releases of any of them anywhere. And and it's mainly because, I mean, the reason why going back to to the reason why I did these the um the anti war trilogy is it was so hard to get the rights and get things sorted with the films that I've been after his eighties uh, Kadokawa films, and I spent like one and a half years just like trying to negotiate with the, with the Kadokawa, who are one of the big uh, major pr- production companies in Japan. And I was so stressed out working with them. And I mean, they were asking like, just to use like photos was, they were charging me like, uh, like a hundred dollars per photo to use. It's like, it's just insane. I was getting so pissed off. That I just thought, fuck it. But since I've been planning this, this, this box set for so long, I should, I went back to the other films in the trilogy, apart from Hanagatami because they were quite easy to negotiate the rights for. So, um, I mean, they're a lot more expensive films in a way also to release because they're running time and uh, uh, BBFC costs and all that. But I thought, well, and also I, since I'd already done Hanagatami, I sort of didn't really want to re-release it because I don't really like companies that re-release the, the same films in different packaging. But I thought, well, but it's a trilogy and, you know, uh, I think it still needs to go in, in the box as is. Uh, and and yes, um I managed to get loads of great extras and subtitle those extras uh, and, and make it a very, very uh, nice box. So, um, yeah, I think the films can be a little hard to get into. So I, I'm, I did wonder sort of what you thought of them, uh, you know, other than the fact that visually, I mean, they are quite draining, aren't they? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know what I'm like? I like to do these kind of marathon binges where I go into someone's filmography and just go through them all. And I found with the stuff from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, I really vibed with that because they were all under 90 minutes. They're super stylized. They're really kind of out there. You can see this kind of drugged up influence, you know, creeping through a little bit, which I just loved. Um, and obviously these later ones, like they're really, really like well made. I mean, you can't argue that at all. And I think just like you say, the emotionally draining side of it all is full on. It kind of feels half like you're watching a history lesson, you know, um, but told in a fun and, you know, really engaging way. Um, well, he, yeah. He's really political. I mean, as, as you can 
see from the films. And and I think the difference is obviously is watching those 80 films and the newer ones is the 80 films are studio films and studios obviously have, uh, you know, you know, rules and, and uh, to, 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 to guide by it and, and to make films of a certain length and, and with obviously put a lot of idols in the films. And then the films that are from the anti-war trilogy are independent, properly independent films. So he just did what he wanted and uh, he wanted to put everything in them and therefore they became three hours each. Yeah, right. Have you seen Labyrinth of Cinema yet? I haven't. Uh, actually, I saw it on the big screen and I saw it at like quite a late night screening um, at the Tokyo Film Festival, which is the first time it screened. And I actually was a bit, I don't know, maybe I was a bit tired at the time, but it, it was almost too much. Yeah. I think it sort of, it, it exhausted me. And, and because it was so similar to... Um, Hanagatami and the other films in the trilogy. I mean, maybe a bit less than, uh, I mean, more like uh, more Hanagatami than the other ones. I thought, uh, well, uh, you know, there is Hanagatami and there are these other two films. So Labyrinth of Cinema did seem a little, a little just overkill, uh, to be to be very frank. And um, I sort of passed on, on, I mean, thinking this is in a sort of in a, maybe in a business sense as well, like. Uh, you know, there's not really much point in, in in me distributing. I don't think people would would enjoy it so much because Hanagatami wasn't picked up by any critics in the UK, and no cinemas really wanted to play it either. And I thought, well, if 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 everyone's not so interested in that, then they're not going to be interested in Labyrinth of Cinema either. And and uh, you know, and then this American company Crescendo Films came out, and now it's being picked up and and reviewed as like by all the critics everywhere and saying how great the film it is, but everyone at the same time just, just didn't review uh, Hanagatami. So I think I missed a, missed a bit on that. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out next year, that Labyrinth of Cinema, because obviously it was his final work, right? And um, yeah, kind of a, a perfect bookend to his career because it, isn't it a, kind of like a study of, of the history of cinema, essentially, through the eyes of some young kids? Yes, it's a, it's a very uh, you know passionate film, and it's um, obviously in in that respect, it's probably a little easier to get into than the uh, anti-war trilogy films. And I think if you weren't, if you didn't watch the anti-war trilogy films and just watch Labyrinth of Cinema, I think it would seem a lot more fresh and a lot more easy to get into and a lot more entertaining. But I think because those uh, films like Hanagatami are there as well. I mean, you couldn't watch all four in a row for sure. I mean, uh, they would just seem all way way too much uh overkill and way too long and way too similar but i think yes if you were to watch labyrinth of, of cinema sort of separated uh and maybe some time if you give give some time before you watch it, i think it is probably uh a lot easier and a lot probably maybe more more entertaining of a film than because it's it's a le- less heavy sure i mean the, the reaction that i've seen on twitter from this box set is it's huge i think people were like clamoring for this so I think, um, yeah, you've done you've done good work there. I think. I wonder, actually. I I I hope that it can sell all of it out because it was a very expensive release. But actually, I actually did manage to finally close the deal on the four films that I had been trying to negotiate before this set. So you hear it first, but the um the the uh, school in the crosshairs uh, girl of time island nearing paradise and his motor by car island will be another box set that i'll be putting out next year so uh amazing. this is a little amazing yes so finally people can get the films that they've been really clamoring for for so long and uh 
they are all brand new transfers as well and um i just have to get some new extras made and i'm thinking about whether to put it in a in a box itself like the uh the other one or to separate them into individual releases or double packs or something so i think that's something i'll be talking to people online for uh and asking comments uh of uh, the audience over the next few months oh man that is so cool i mean his motorbike her island was just amazing i i was blown away by it to be honest i thought it was so well made and so like funny and clever and cute and all that stuff um yeah I, knowing where he went after the success of house and all of that um it was really interesting to see that more restrained side of things i guess but also really playful and kind of like, you know, it was quite sexually explicit as well for what I was expecting. Um, yeah, I was just so impressed with that one. So, yeah, that, I'm really excited for that. That's so cool. What other ones did you watch? Uh, from, so, yeah, I saw, I saw Sada, uh, Emotion. Um, House uh, again, yes. House again, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm blanking. And, yeah, obviously the Anti-War Trilogy again. Um, is a girl who leapt through time? Uh, no, or, or not the girl in the oh the school in the crosshairs either. Um, I really wanted to check out the 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 drifting classroom. Is it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. From another one from from that the Onomichi trilogy. Yeah, yeah. But again, I yeah. There's so much going on this month, and <laughs> you know what it's like. Um, so yeah, but you know, nothing but time in the future. So still plenty to get into. Yes, uh, then you can you can QC the check discs uh, when they're ready. <laughs> it would be my pleasure. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, that's available now uh, via Terracotta Distribution. Um, and yeah, well worth checking out. Okay, so the, the previous one that you released, we, we only talked about in the last episode, so we don't have to go too hard into it, I guess, but it was Junta Yamaguchi's Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which, um, spoiler alert, it's, it's in my top 10 of, of 2021. I think um I think that film is just astonishing. The more I watch it, the more I love it, and the more I share it with people, the more I kind of get a buzz out of it because it it has that kind of um snowball effect of, you know, the more people that see it, the more people talk about it and just how crazy the whole the whole concept is. I mean, it's sort of stalled, I think it feels like it's sort of stalled its momentum from from the earlier part of uh this year when it was really going like crazy to film festivals and winning a lot of awards and hasn't been to a film festival in the last month or so or or maybe nothing so major so it personally it feels like there's some momentum loss but i i'm interested just to see um the american theatrical release is in two weeks actually or, or next week or january the 7th and then from there, it'll be released in America on uh, video on demand and uh, Blu-ray and DVD on January the 28th. So I think that should start getting people talking about it again, and it should find uh, a new audience there. And then we'll, we'll be able to see more people's reactions, because I, I did sort of expect it to be on more best 10 lists of the, of the year. But I think it still is a little, um, a little still a little, an un unknown uh, compared to I maybe I was thinking more um, One Cut of the Dead, which did really become so mainstream uh, after a short time. And I thought Beyond would get to that. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of critics in the UK, like Mark Kermode and all that, didn't watch it. Um, mm. And I th it could have really benefited from more critics like that uh, watching and talking about it. But, you know, a lot of critics don't like to watch films that other critics don't talk about. So uh, it's sort of a Cats 22 situation. 
That's it, isn't it? It's like a numbers thing. They're like, oh, how big's the audience for that? Um, I guess as well, just because it mainly got a home release as well. Because I know, especially in the case of Mark Kermode, he does he does mainly cinematic releases, doesn't he? Yeah, but I mean, he also does video releases. And I think the, actually the week that it came out, um, their production, their, their Twitter feed had a list of different films. That they, they were like, which films should we review for the week? And Beyond was on there because obviously it was one of the releases that was out there for the week. And instead of actually reviewing any of them, they just reviewed like a, a previous, like a new remaster of like a Mike Lee film and put on their Twitter something like, or they were that they were saying was I listened to it like there's just not been any good films out this week so all we can do is review like an old remaster of a, of a Mike Lee film and I was like well maybe if you had watched some of the films that were out this week instead of complaining about the fact that there weren't <laughs> any then then you could have had something to talk about but it's it's I guess it's more uh, fashionable to com- to complain about uh, there not being any films instead of actually going out there and making the effort to find them. Uh. Uh, it's a shame man well you know we'll get into this more when we do our top 10 but it's quite hard with release dates you know especially with east asian cinema so many films get released in japan and then we don't see that over here in the west for maybe years you know um and for example i mean beyond the infinite two minutes wasn't that a 2020 film initially and it came out here in 21 yes it was released in 20 but i think you know with with yes it was released in japan in in 2020 but uh you know, COVID and all that uh, caused a lot of issues with the release. But in terms of its its major festival releases, the first Western screening was April 2021 at the Brussels International Film Festival, where it won two awards. So it has played a lot of big film festivals this year and won a lot of awards. So, but, you know, it, I guess, you know, a theatrical screening is, is, is important to get more views. And I know that myself, but then again, cinemas don't want to really take a chance on that. Uh, I mean, One Cut of the Dead uh, during that time as well was very hard to get into cinemas. And Prince Charles were only offering me like one screening at like a 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, <laughs> I had to beg them to get to, to give me a week and it ended up being a big hit. But, uh, you know, they were very reluctant to play it in the first place. And a lot of cinemas in the UK are just reluctant to play films they don't know of. And I understand because obviously if they don't know it and the audience don't know it, then maybe people won't come and see it. But it's also, I, I feel up to the cinemas who have a built-in audience to champion films and to promote films that, that they think their audience would like, whether they know of them or not. I mean, it's not just about just playing the films that everybody knows about. There are films that just need to be championed, and cinemas can do a lot more than they actually are, considering they take the percentage, the, the, the highest percentage of the of the um, the box office, uh, which is different to Japan. In Japan, it's a 50-50 split, and the cinemas put a lot more effort into promoting the films because they want people to see the films uh, that are playing. I think UK cinemas are a bit uh, different uh, in that respect. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because they, we have these seasons here, you know, like BFI do Japan cuts. Um, and we also have like the London Korean film festival and these seasons do really well, you know, and I know for me, I, I, I live near Cambridge we have a, an arts picture house here and they would screen one film every week for, for two months from the London Korean Film Festival. And whether we'd heard of it or not, we turned up for it because we, we just want to see what, what comes out of there, you know, and there would always be screenings that were packed. So there's definitely people out there that are interested. It's just funny, I guess, doing individual films, maybe it's much harder to sell or, or there's no marketing money. I'm not sure. Yeah, hopefully the tides are changing. 
you know, one-off screenings can probably work a little more. But first of all, in the cases of films like One Cut of the Dead and Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, you need like more time for for word of mouth to get out there, and uh, a one-off screening won't really help. And you, you know, mm. you, you do need a cinema to sort of let it play and to to let the word get out there. And it's, it's very hard. And also, critics won't review a film if it's only playing once, or even if it's only, even if it's playing ten cinemas, it has to play for a full week in multiple cinemas to get a. Uh, critically reviewed right okay we have to wait for spider-man to leave the cinemas then yeah so yeah that's well <laughs> <laughs> let's move on that's okay right. well we can do quite a lot in a in a short space of time for this next one because you released um well i think what eight or nine toshiaki toyota films <laughs> this year yes yeah. uh, uh quite many <laughs> So we had the box set 2005 to 2021 with Hanging Garden, Monsters Club, I'm Flash, Wolf's Calling, Day of Destruction, and Go Seppuku Yourselves. And also you you re-released... Oh, no, no, in fact, you don't... Yeah, you did re-release because you released it as a box set initially, but we did Nine Souls and Porno Star as a single release as well. So yeah, that's yes. a hell of a year for Toyota. And uh, yeah, I love all of those films. Just amazing stuff. Well, he's had a head of a, of a few years, so I think it was really important um, for him, not only obviously to keep his name going, but to keep him wanting to make films because you know you do need some something keeping you going. And I, I think after all the 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 trouble that he's had, I mean, the well documented trouble of him getting arrested so many times and uh, you know blacklisted here and there, I think it's you know it was so important to keep just his name going out there so i really w- was happy about the, especially the work that i that was put into the, not just getting you know this box was a lot harder than the original box because all the films were handled by different licenses and it was more complicated for contracts for each film and then to pay off each film and uh, then you know getting all the materials from different places and uh, having to do lots of extras uh, separately so it was a, a very complicated set but but luckily you know Toyota is a very easy person to work with so I I had fun and um, he was very happy yeah I mean I've seen so much being written online about that you, you must have noticed that yourself I mean it was even in Sight and Sound I think there was an article in there about him yeah, lucky uh, this guy, uh, James Balmont, has been writing uh, a lot of really, really good articles on Asian cinema in big places like uh, Little White Lies, like Side and Sound, and uh, 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 Dazed, and another magazine. And uh, I've been working a lot with him recently, and he really loves Asian cinema and also has a lot of inroads in uh, into these big publications. So he's helping. He interviewed Toyota for, for Side and Sound and... Uh, also wrote up some articles on another magazine. I mean, that, that's it. You know, if you get a, an article in, in one of these major magazines and then it just really opened up the audience to a lot of people that wouldn't have heard otherwise. So, and also, you know, Arrow, putting the films onto the Arrow player allowed people that wouldn't have wanted to buy the whole box set to check out like one or two films. And it just helps, you know, get the name out there. And that, that's what, what was really important to me. Yeah, amazing. Well, hopefully... This is going to give Toyota some some momentum for his next project because I know it's a lot of it is for for love and and that's it, isn't it? Like trying to trying to get blood out of a stone with funding <laughs> it and everything. Yeah, cool. A lot of okay. crowd, crowdfunding. Yeah. Okay. So the the ones before the Toyota box set, you did um, uh, Funake show some love, you losers, <laughs> from uh, Daihachi Yoshida. 
Yeah, that that was actually something that I I released in theaters and um, on DVD back in the days, and I wasn't. I, I like the film. It's quite a black uh, and unique uh, comedy from a director that ended up being uh, such a huge, huge name in Japan. Not so much overseas, but but very, very major in Japan. And it was his debut, and I think it's it's his, it's it's my favorite of of, of his films. Uh, maybe one of his best uh, too. And uh, it hadn't been released on Blu-ray either in Japan. But the the, the sales agent was um, was quite a pain to work with and. Actually, I initially the reason why I got Fanuke was because I wanted to get I'm Flash for the for the Toyota set, and I couldn't get I'm Flash by itself from the agent, and I had to buy that and another film from their catalog in order to get I'm Flash. <laughs> wow! So Fanuke was the other film uh, because uh, it was one of the only few films from the catalog that I liked, and I thought it's going to be a very complicated uh, film. To, to release on Blu-ray, and it has proven to be exactly as I thought. It sold barely nothing, uh, right. but it allowed me to get I'm Flash, and it's just a sort of a, I'll be lucky if it breaks even, but I don't think it will, to be honest. Oh, man. Well, yes, yeah, so I, I missed that when you did your initial run on DVD, so I was really happy to see it out there, and um, I thought the film was great. It kind of reminded me of a mix between uh, like The Taste of Tea with something really dark, like, I don't know, like, Takashi Miike's Visit to Q or something like that, you know? Um, yeah, it's what I need to go back to, really, because I remember just the first time watch being a bit of a a, a head fuck, but um, in a good way. And, you know, I need to go back and see it again to kind of let it all sink in this time. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the casting is fantastic. I mean, it's it's a it's a fun film, but um, I do understand why it's um, it's not selling as well. I mean, it's quite unknown and... Um, I think a lot of people nowadays don't really want to take a chance so much on a title that that uh, they don't know of, uh, and and the, the company unfortunately wouldn't give me the rights for uh, video on demand, so people couldn't rent it either to check it out. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's it's I think it's it's a, uh, it's yeah. I'll, I want to say I don't I don't think it'll ever break even, but um, what can you do? <laughs> Damn. Well, hopefully some of our podcast listeners might seek it out now if they haven't already. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of uh, more tough cells, <laughs> we're going back a bit further. You've got um, Tezka's Barbara by Makoto Tezka. Uh, and I know this is a really special one because this is one you were producing on, right? Yes, uh, but uh, it was I wasn't uh, the only producer and it was a film that uh, left me with a lot of traumatic experiences, um, uh, fighting, trying to get... Something across that ended up not coming across because of all the different people fighting against it, and uh, it was one of those things that you work so long on something, and there's so many problems involved with it that you're just happy it gets done at all in the end. And yeah, sure. I think I know that some people quite like it, and I just, you know, being very honest, uh, I just see it as a bit of a missed opportunity. I mean, I'm very critical because of all the work that I put involved in it, and it could have been so much better than it ended up being. So I'm looking at that in a very, yes, uh, very biased uh, viewpoint uh, in, in a respect. I mean, it's a hell of a subject matter to adapt, right? Like, it's really, really dark and, and out there. And, I mean, you had Christopher Doyle on board, which is just that that blew my mind and then watching all the extras you had on the disc I was kind of like he almost looks like he was there with a gun to his head half the time <laughs> it's crazy well he's a not 
he's not he's 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 a great person to work with and he's a very talented person in certain circumstances and um I don't think there were the right circumstances for him to be as creative and as he as he can be. So, I mean, there were just so many problems with with that. I mean, yes, it could have been something a lot better than it ended up being. And and you know, I don't really want to diss a film too much because I do want people to watch it. But um, and I know that some people like it because they obviously are watching it without the the um the baggage that that, that I have when it when I'm watching it. But uh, so it's it's hard for me to talk too fondly about it uh, to be fun, to be honest but yes it's, uh, it, it got out there in the end and uh, some people do like it so that's that's what I'm happy well maybe one day you can we'll, we'll have a whiskey or something and we can talk about it on the on the podcast and you can get it all out like therapy yeah, or something in a few years <laughs> okay moving swiftly on then um, <laughs> you also you you re-released one cut of the dead um, but you did it in a kind of deluxe edition with with the in Hollywood uh, sequel spin off or whatever you want to call it. So that was that was a cool one. Yes, of course. You know that that's uh, one kind of the dead has become a big money maker for me, which I'm glad because I did put in years of work onto the film and I had to deal with a lot of stress and behind the scenes chaos that had to do with the film. And uh, I had originally made a, a limited edition which um, featured the directors previous film uh one of his short films uh but i only had the rights that to use just for a a very limited edition and when the limited edition sold out i thought uh you know i'd like to put out another edition that had because a lot of people missed out on the first edition but not put out like exactly the same thing because then people would complain about uh you know one thing or another uh and I just thought I, 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 there was this spin-off film that was written by Ueda and um, produced by him, but directed by the original assistant director of the original film. And I thought it would be great to have a package uh, with that uh, One Color of the Dead in Hollywood. And, and that's it's also quite charming. I mean, it's not as good as the first one because it shares a lot of the same uh, points as the first one, but uh, it's still quite charming on, on itself. And I think the package itself, with the, that, the original film and that, especially for, I mean, maybe I was aiming more at people who hadn't seen the film at all, didn't have a copy at all. And to have a sort of special edition that had both films and all the extras was really the goal of, of uh, or, or the reason why I put out that Hollywood edition. I know a lot of people might have complained for putting out another edition of the same film, but I wasn't really aiming, for, I didn't really expect those people who'd bought the first edition to buy this edition. I mean, it was just an edition for people that hadn't gotten yeah. any of it so and i'm sure there was plenty right because i mean i'd only seen it on streaming so when it came around to it i was like well i'll snap up this one for sure it's a nice yeah, I mean, extra yeah it's, it's 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 i think it's a nice set and it's not, not so expensive and uh i mean there's more and more people finding out about that film every day and there will be because the uh the the, the remake is um is getting its premiere at sundance uh in in a few weeks time so the uh uh, what's it called? Final cut or final take? I believe is the uh, the French remake from the director of the artist. Uh, no way. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the Academy Award. I, 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 his name is uh, quite hard to pronounce, so I'll, I'll give up on it. And, and I'm sure people know who I'm speaking of. But the the guy who made the film, uh, the artist. artist. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, I had no idea they were even doing a remake. That's that's yeah, mad. They've done they've done it. It's it's playing in in Sundance in in a couple of weeks. So. Uh, Yes, if people didn't know that, then uh, yes, they can look out for it. And I think maybe Sundance might even be going online due to uh, COVID. So therefore, people will have the chance to watch it uh, streaming. 
Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for that. Um, now, the next one, I forget, I don't know what month specifically you released it, but it's probably been my favorite release of the year, bar the Toyota box set, um, is The Weird and Wonderful World of Ujicha. Ah, yes. This this box set, man, like that blew my mind. I remember this was back in the day when you and I had just started talking, really. Um, and yeah, good God, this this box set is mad. So it has um, Burning Buddha Man and uh, Violence Voyager <laughs> in a in a twofer. Yeah, where did where did this all come from? Like, how how did you find out about this guy? Well, I saw Burning Buddha Man when it played at Nippon Connection in in uh, in Germany, uh, a great little film festival that's only about Japanese films, and it's probably the biggest uh, Japanese uh, film film festival in the world. It's been running for about uh, fifteen twenty years, and he brought Burning Buddha Man there and I actually had was teaching a, a class as I did every year there about um getting your films uh into the international circuit in terms of sales and and uh festivals and he attended the class and uh we we became friends and um I saw Burning Buddha Man and and uh yeah we stayed in touch and uh you know, when Violent Violence Voyager was the film obviously that became quite a big uh hit because it was released in America and um also, I think released in America, like on on Prime or something like that, so it was quite easily accessible. But but cut because uh, there's a lot of scenes that um are quite uh, yes, Americans don't really like uh, <laughs> children being uh, being killed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the rest. I mean, and the damn. rest. Uh, yes, it's I'm quite a twisted film, uh, but it's it's like uh, because. I like the way he described it. It's sort of like, it's like a Jurassic Park or like a Steven Spielberg type um, horror, uh, grotesque Spielberg version. I mean, it's 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 charming and very like sort of family friendly until it's not. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like the Goonies meets like Videodrome or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's obviously a better a better uh, explanation than I than, than I. I've rewatched it and because I thought I know what I'm expecting now. So this is going to be a bit more palatable. It's like, no, it's still insane. Like the last half an hour is absolutely mental. And Burning Buddha Man, I mean, oh, I, I just, I remember watching it the first time being like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get this out of my head. Um, yeah. And, but again, so he kind of um, pioneered this stuff called Gekimation, right? Which is, um, uh, it's, what, what, what is it? It's like characters that are cut out of cardboard um and essentially moved around with sticks and stuff right like almost like stop motion but not really yeah um, well, as you said it's, it's almost like stop motion but not really so it's quite hard to ex- to explain but yes it is uh i've heard it being described as stop motion which is not but it's yeah he he moves it and then like takes a photo and then they're like oh you know he, he videos it being being uh moved on sticks uh yeah and then i mean but the, the difference is is that it's it's all done by him everything yeah, every exactly. single aspect so that must mean keep the budget down right and he has full control which is why a it's so kind of like altered like you, it, that's just his warped vision <laughs> but the guy is such a nice guy and i connected with him on twitter and he keeps sharing like little snippets of his new stuff that he's doing and it just looks just as deranged and i'm like it's just so funny to have such a nice sweet guy just bring up the most disgusting crazy insane warped shit um i can't wait to see what he does next and i really hope you're involved with it somehow i don't know if you guys are talking or he he's he's actually got 
quite major now because he got picked up by this company called Yoshimoto. And Yoshimoto are the biggest agency in Japan other than Johnny's, which is a music-related um, talent agency. And Yoshimoto are the big um, comedian agency, like um, uh, Downtown uh, are, are the biggest uh, from there. So Matsumoto Hitoshi, who did the films like uh, Symbol and all that. But uh, he, they're a massive, massive uh, and very black, very dodgy uh, management company out of Japan, and he got into that. Uh, he, he's now um, being handled by them. So once you know, it became a bit complicated actually because when I, uh, you know, before we were just speaking like normally, like by email, and then, and then it was just like, yeah, you, you have to run everything by my manager and all that. And it's like, oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake, you know, uh, yeah, it's gonna take like uh, everything t- takes like double of the time now because you, your managers have to ask their managers who have to, you know, very Japanese thing and. Uh, it's just a bit annoying so um but but obviously they're, they're funding him and 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 violence voyager has an uh, i mean it's if you were new about japanese pop culture it's an insane cast list um of some of the biggest biggest names in japan to be in a film or, or you or lend their voices to a film that is essentially a guy making cut out stuff in his like parents home like in like <laughs> like it's it's it, once you think about like that in that respect it's it's really insane i mean the whole the whole process of, of the way he makes films is is um i mean it's those are the type of films that i love to distribute these sort of like very low budget or films that like one person does everything uh, and i just love that 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 effort that is put into 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 um that, and that passion that is is put into to filmmaking i mean i think he really encapsulates that as uh you know, it takes him like five years to make a film. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, did you? What was the reaction like when you released that? Because I mean, I'd never heard of him before I got that box set, and it blew my mind. And so I just wonder if if it sold okay. If you had a, a good response, did people reach out to you and say like, "What the fuck is this"? I mean, one big thing was the Guardian wrote an article about it that that um was I think that was also that was. James as well, James Valmont, who wrote the article, and that was picked up by The Guardian, who got that got a lot of press out there. But in the end, I mean, I think I'm just about to break even, or I haven't yet. So it's it's not that big of a, a seller. It's all about a, a thousand copies um, or close to that uh, in a year. So it's, it's not a huge seller. I think obviously it's a bit expensive because... Um, there are the five films on the two discs, so it was an expensive release. So. Of course, yeah, because it's the short ones as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, his whole his whole uh, his whole catalogue of, of titles. So it was a a very well put together release that I had to make a little more expensive than I think people who hadn't heard of him would have wanted to pay. But you know, in time, I guess uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, well, especially now he's with the dark big wigs. <laughs> well, that, that's what Japan. I mean, that, that doesn't help me. We'll see what happens next. All right, cool. And then there was just one more, um, and I'll confess it's I, it's one I haven't watched yet, although you did send it to me. It's uh, Pink Films, Volume 5 and 6, uh, Underwater Love and Women Hell Song. Um, I Yeah. I think Women Hell Song is probably the most accessible of that Pink series in the fact that it's got, um, you know, the Shambara style. It's like if it fits into a lot of those sort of... Uh, um, pinky violence type, uh, you know, films that Arrow and, and the bigger companies ended up and usually release. So it's a little less, you know, uh, art house and and uh, you know some of the films like Gushing Prayer from from that series are very very political and um, very experimental. And I think Women Hell Song is a lot more fun and and uh, 
entertaining and um, easy to get into of all the Pink films. I mean, Underwater Love is also quite experimental because it has the, it's uh, Christopher Doyle uh, and it's like a musical and, and the songs are quite catchy and it's it's a sex film, but it's a lot more pop. So I think as the two together, they're very, very far apart. I mean, uh, uh, it, it's quite an easy, easily accessible um release for people that might not really watch pink films so i think it's uh it, it's not hasn't sold as well as the the other the other pink film series but um maybe because underwater love was released on dvd beforehand but i think it's quite a a, a fun fun set nice i'd definitely get round to it i mean i want to get the the one to four as well at some point but um have you got any plans to release any more of those pink or is that it now done well, that that was that had to do with the Rapid Eye Movies, who are, are a company that I I often work with, and they were the company that produced um, Underwater Love, actually. And they have a film scanner, and their owner loves pink films, and he scanned a lot of these uh, pink films, and then took the worldwide rights to to exploit them. So it depends on if he's planning to scan any any more or uh, what he has uh, for the future, but. I know a lot of people missed out actually on seeing the um the first uh, two releases one two and three and four because uh, they sold out quite quickly. So I think at some point when five and six sells out, I'll make a uh, a box set that has the whole one to six um collection in a nice uh, new packaging and and uh, maybe at the end of two thousand twenty two or, or or sometime around then. So we'll see. I think, but two thousand twenty two, I do really have a a packed release schedule throughout the year so uh it's going to be hard to fit in <laughs> it's a good problem to have all right that's awesome well yeah i mean that that was it like i said i, I wanted to get through that uh I, I, again 45 minutes in that's not too bad for us again <laughs> considering how many films we chatted about but yeah i mean there's so many i wanted to go deeper into but you know for time i have to keep it down but i'm sure we'll go back to them over the years anyway um yeah, nice. And like you said, I we've got so much coming up next year. I mean, it's going to make this one look like a, a walk in the park, right? Yeah, actually, I mean, I was planning to release the list of uh, what I've got for next year over the next week or two, so we can talk about the for now, if you'd like. Uh, oh, let's before, do it. Be, let's let's uh, let me bring them up. Uh, let's see. So first of all, we've got in January, we've got Hiroko the Goblin, which we we've. Uh, we've talked about and we will be talking about a lot more on our next uh, podcast next month uh, uh have you have you seen that yet no i'm saving it for um uh, yeah i'll watch it next week and then obviously we've got a uh, i'll explain more at the end of the show but yeah we've got a special guest coming on to chat about it with us haven't we so that's going to be really cool yes uh, it's yeah i mean Tsukamoto is always uh, fun and it hasn't been released on blu-ray uh, in europe before so it should be a uh, uh, a release is popular and after that uh, crazy thunder road in february which uh has never been released outside of japan and uh is a classic of japanese uh punk and independent cinema uh in march we've got uh, funky forest and warp forest which uh, pre-orders uh went up um the other day and uh i mean that's also just insane cult japanese cinema i watched the uh, i watched the trailer you put together and i just laughed my ass off for like 90 seconds solid i just thought it looked so much fun have you had you not seen what funky forest before no not at all oh uh, you're you're in for uh it's long but uh a very very surreal i mean i 
it's it's yes, it's unique to to say the least. Um, Warp Forest as well, but Funky Forest is is totally uh, a cult classic. I cannot wait. Every time my mailman comes, I'm always looking for that box. It hasn't come yet, but I'll wait soon. I'm sure it'll be here soon. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, then uh, in, in April, I've got uh, this film called Zoki, which is quite similar, actually, to the um, to Katsuri Toishi type films. Um, it's quite surreal, but also maybe something more like Taste of Tea. It's uh, surreal, but also quite charming. Um, it's directed by uh, three actors who... Um, who directed this adaptation of a manga? Did you happen to see the the um, thing Ongaku R Sound? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. About the um, the punk band, uh, the animation. Yes, yes. Yeah, I really, really liked that. I thought it was great. So the the person who wrote that um, manga, who made that film Ongaku R Sound, well, not not the manga, who made the Ongaku R Sound, because um, wrote this Zoki manga. Right. Okay. So it's uh, it's, but is it it's a similar sort of style then as well the, the the kind of characterized style. No, 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 because it's 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 he's he directed uh, Ongakoa Sound, and that was something he he obviously directed. So he it's sort of a it's sort of a, a manga um, animation, to sort of strange animation. But this is a live action film uh, with right, quite okay. a um, a big cast like uh, Kunimura Jun and uh, Matsuru Yuhei. Uh, from films like uh, Blue Spring and all that, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's quite uh, it wasn't popular in Japan and it wasn't really popular anywhere. But uh, I quite like it, and uh, I think uh, people it would work right after Funky Forest. Uh, people who like Funky Forest and Wolf Forest should like it. I hope. Awesome! I can't wait for that. But those I think I've t- I've actually probably announced before. The ones that I haven't announced, uh, which I shall do now, is um, Onoda, uh, Ten Thousand Nights in the Jungle, which is um, was the opening film from Uncertain Regard of the Cannes Cannes Film Festival in two thousand twenty one uh, this year. Uh. Oh wow! And that's a fantastic. It's actually I I don't think it's in my, in my best ten of the year. So we'll we'll speak about it in in a minute. But uh, it's a French uh, film that was. A French first-time director um, who it's all it's 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 shot in Japan with Japanese cast and crew and about uh, the the true the, the true sort of true story about this um, Japanese uh, uh, soldier who went to the Philippines um, in the uh, in in the, in, uh, in the war and ended up thinking that after the war finished thinking that the war was still on and uh, living there uh, until the seventies. Constantly thinking that he was uh, in a war. It's wow. it's a it's sort of it's a true story, but it's been uh, sort of embellished over the years. And and it, the film itself is is really fantastic, and it's fantastic because it's it's like in the same way as a film that like uh, Mishima. Um, it's foreigners, very very talented foreigners, making a Japanese film, which uh, does make a film look very good and and very well edited and all the things that that can be lacking for a lot of japanese films um (laughs) (laughs) so that that, so i that's really what i loved in the same way that i I love mishima it's that that sort of collaboration between uh, the east and the west awesome uh in june and july a summer a summer film uh called summertime machine blues which is uh we talked about it before uh, we did we did we did can't wait for this Yes, I can't wait for you to for you to watch it because it's a really uh, fun classic of of Japanese sort of uh, 
entertainment uh like uh from the people that uh from the the guy who made beyond the infinite two minutes but it's it's quite a big budget uh studio film but it's very very fun and pop that's quite quite well known right that's that's one's quite well revered Yes, it's uh, it's 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 a it's a quite it's quite a, a, a classic of of Japanese uh, pop cinema, but it was never actually released outside of Japan. Uh, maybe because I mean, and it was a real pain to get the rights to it because it's owned by a major studio. And uh, but they had originally released it in Japan on DVD and even Blu-ray with English subtitles. So I think a lot of people saw it uh, in that way. But this will be the first time that it's released uh, outside of Japan, so or, or outside of Asia and. Um, yeah, I love the film, so I'm looking forward to it. Nice. And that's in summer you're releasing that one? In summer, to, to match it. Uh, Perfect. And then after the last uh, two are, after that, uh, finally, uh, Suicide Club, um, Sion Sono's uh, classic. No of, fucking uh, way. Yes. We're getting uh, a release. Amazing. You're getting, finally, it's because it's getting remastered um, by an American company, and I, I'm not sure who. I'm, I'm sure it's Media Blasters, but I, I'm not. I can't. I can't say for sure. And it, they're finally remastering. And so, uh, I, I will. I've taken the, the English uh, territory, and uh, I'll go to Sono's house and make some new extras for it. So we'll finally, finally, a brand new, clean-looking version of the film that, that we we've all been watching on crap quality. Amazing. DVD for years, so that is so fucking cool. I, that's just yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to sound ungrateful, but I was like, is there any chance of getting Noriko's dinner table as well? <laughs> yeah, and and that is, and I'm sure the mo- moment I announce this, uh, people will ask the same thing. And I, I've tried for the years to find out if, if um if masters could be a new masters could be made, and I'm not sure if 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 the company in America that are doing Suicide Club might. Uh, also have been looking into it themselves, but I think uh, because it's a different production company, it's a lot more complicated, and they haven't, right. they just aren't aren't um, uh, high definition materials for it, and it's also a film that is has some problems with the rights. So I don't think uh, at this very moment uh, there'll be uh, as much of a chance, but uh, um, maybe in the future. That's a shame, but yeah, no, that's such cool news. I can't wait for that. <laughs> Uh, and finally, it's just yeah, as we just mentioned, the the Obayashi nineteen uh, eighties uh, uh, four films of uh, School in the Crosshairs, uh, Girl of Time, Island Near in Paradise, and uh, His Mother by Her Island. So that would be the uh, probably the last, either as one set or as two sets, um, towards the end of the year. I mean, for now, maybe maybe there'll be some more titles coming later, but that's uh, that's yes, uh, a nice mix, I think, of uh, genres uh, and and years and directors. So I, I hope that it's a uh, everything works out. There's not a single one that you just mentioned there that I'm not excited to see. And that's kind of what I love about you and your, your company. It's so, yeah, just speaks to me. Amazing. That's what I was going to mention though. So now that's, that's kind of set in stone what you're doing for the next year. Will there be other releases potentially in between there? And how does that come about? Like, is it, cause obviously it takes a lot of planning with all this stuff. So you can't just move super quickly or maybe you can. Yes, I mean, for example, there have been a lot of films that I've been talking about uh, the possibility of remastering. Um, but, for example, I, I mean, as with uh, Funky Forest um, and Katsuhito Ishii's films, they're, they're, his films like Party 7 and uh, Shark Skin Man and Peachip Girl are films that I've wanted to release for years and, and haven't had the right masters. So I've, in order to get the, the, the films remastered, I've had it to 
to try to find other distributors, um, like, for example, with Funky Forest, with Aero 444 in, in America, that we can pool together finances um, and therefore get the money to remaster these films. So so those two titles are, 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 are two that I've been trying to sort them out. And there are other titles that if things move quickly or if I can find the distributors in certain countries to, to help finance the projects, then I can get other other films remastered and 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 along. So yes, yeah, something else there are all these other films and projects that are that are in the back of my mind and um you know something yes could drop quickly and uh, and I could find a distributor or, or a new distributor like Aero four 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 comes in and uh you know we, we can quickly work on on raising money and 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 remastering so there hopefully will be more more titles but uh yeah we'll we'll see that's so cool is there anything we can do to kind of help that along like is there like online petitions people can get like involved in start to like because i guess if enough people start putting their hands up and shouting like distributors will start thinking about it going hold on maybe we can do this if if people buy the the discs, then then buy them. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's just you know, if if you have films of certain directors that are selling well, I mean, for example, if if Funky Forest and Warp Forest sell well and Taste of Tea continues to sell okay, then then all right, Katsui Tuishi's titles are in essence worth more than than they might have been thought of worth before, and therefore when we're raising the money to remaster the titles, we could raise a little more or I could uh, uh, think, oh, I only thought I could have put this much towards them, but maybe I can put this much towards them. And uh, that's, that's sort of how it goes. Um, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. So if, if Funky Forest sells well, then, then hopefully that will help uh, both myself and Aero 444 in America uh, raise the money to uh, make his other films and and that's yeah that's it uh, if titles sell well and if if sony don't up their prices anymore then uh, then i can i can take the do these things right okay well you heard it here first folks okay let's get on to it then let's let's do our top 10 of 2021 um i know that you've already kind of i think you shared your your list the other day didn't you on no no not yet Oh, perfect. That's just to you. Then. Just to me. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and I know that all yours are, are Japanese, right? Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't have access to, uh, I don't think I've seen 10 2021 Japanese films this year, unfortunately, because it often takes a long time for them to come out over here. Um, and I can, I've, I've been lucky with a few where I caught them at film festivals or I've been sent screeners. But um, yeah, my top 10 has a bit of a mix of kind of like uh, Chinese and Korean and Indonesian and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll have a have a good mix. I don't know how you want to do this. Should we do maybe like if you do your number 10, then I'll do my number 10 and so on and so forth? Or No, actually, I'd like to hear your, your 10 in a row just so that we, I've, I'd like to. I'm, I, I haven't heard it yet either. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting. So <laughs> you, you do your 10 and, and then I'll, I'll run down mine afterwards. Lush. Okay, no problem at all. Okay, well, so number ten. Um, you know, basically, I, I had to really think hard because there, there was so many films this year that I loved, but uh, everyone in this list kind of got me in a special place. And um, there was this featured debut from South Korea. Sorry, South Korea um, called Midnight by Kwon Oh Sung. Have you heard about this film? I heard our uh, Eureka put it out, didn't they? Um... They, well, it's coming soon. I got ah. sent a screener of it. But yeah, um, basically, 
it's like a cat and mouse thriller um, where there's a, a psycho killer where you've got no idea why he's a psycho, but he really is. Um, uh, and he's stalking a deaf girl and her deaf mother. So you don't only have the the tension of this man uh, stalking these women, trying to kill them, but you also have the fact that they can't hear anything. So there's some really clever tropes involved where um, they have gadgets, for example, in her car. If there's um, any motion around the car, then these lights flash so she knows there's something there. So rather, you'd, rather than hearing it, you can see it. And there's very many moments where she'll be hiding somewhere and you'll see these little lights flashing and you know someone's coming and, you know... It's just a really cool, effective little film. Um, it's got uh, Wee Hajun as the kind of psychopath. And um, he was so good in Gonjam Haunted Asylum. And uh, I think he was he was in Squid Game as well recently. So, yeah, that guy's smashing it. But, yeah, that, that film really, really got me. It's just a cool little genre, genre flick. I don't know if you like – do you like horrors and thrillers and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. And uh, and, and, and I've – I need. I've heard so much about this film. Uh, it sounds like a reverse. Don't don't breathe. Actually, uh, but uh, I've I have been yes wanted to see it, and and I'm sure uh, hopefully I can see it soon. Don't breathe is as a good reference. I think for me. So did you ever see Mike Flanagan's Hush, which was um, <sighs> it's exactly the same story. Basically, it's a home invasion film, but with a deaf girl. Um. It was really, really good. I loved that film. But what that did was basically have one girl in a house being stalked. What this does very cleverly and kind of like it's amazing that it pulls it off is it has it out in the open. So you have the girl and the guy interacting with people in the public out in the streets. And a lot of times like like the, the people in the street are thinking this girl's crazy because she's screaming and shouting and this guy's like it's okay i'm her brother and it's it just this added like layer of menace that really comes through really cool i'll try to i'll try to watch it this week if i can nice um cool well number 9 is a film out of china it's a neo noir um again i think it is a debut yeah it is uh, another feature debut by uh, wen shai pei it's called are you lonesome tonight I heard about it, but I haven't seen it myself. Yeah, this is another one that really, really hit me hard. Um, I just love neo-noir in general. I just did something about the pacing and the aesthetics that just like really speak to me. They're often quite slow and mysterious, but they always have like a really huge payoff. And this one's no different. It's basically like this guy, he's he's a bit of a, bit of a loser, really. Um, hits someone with his car and gets rid of the body and feels really guilty about it. So starts to look into this guy's life and realizes this widow he's left behind. So he starts to get to know the widow to try and make sure that she's okay, you know? Um, But then there's this whole plot when he finally confesses to her. This is not really a spoiler, I hope, because it's like quite (laughs) early on in the film. But yeah, he confesses to her that he's the one that, you know, killed the husband. And she's like, but he was riddled with bullets. What what are you talking about? And... (laughs) And it goes off in this other direction where it just gets really, really gnarly. Um, and yeah, it's so beautiful. It's shot like like an early one car wife film, you know. But um, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. If you've seen films like um, Black Coal, Thin Ice or The Wild Goose Lake. Um, and also like the Bygan films like um, uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night, all that sort of stuff. Really, really cool. So yeah. 
You see in the well, cinema or, or in a... Or, no, no, no. That was another one that I got sent. So basically, when I um, first started working for the film festival, I got sent this Google Drive full of like just screeners and links and all sorts. And I had so little time going through the festival to actually like watch them all, you know. And I was just kind of uh, filtering through them at the, the last minute. And I found so many that I was like, how did I miss this? And, and that was just one of them that I got under the wire. Um, so I don't know how it's going to get released next year. I'd love to find out, but yeah, I, as soon as it comes out, I'm going to see it on the biggest screen possible, without a doubt. It's quite it's quite well known, so I think uh, it will get with uh, well, not I'm not sure if it get theatrical, but I'm sure it'll get out uh, in England one way or another. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just hopefully as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, number eight is Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Um, yeah, I just. I, there's nothing more to say about this one, really. Um, I it blew my mind when I first saw it, and it, it continues to blow my mind since. Um, my favorite part about it is sharing it. So I've told people to rent it, or I've, for a few people, I've lent them the, the, my Blu-ray, and yeah, just universally, people love it. I just I I'm sad to hear that it's kind of died down a bit for you. I hope it I hope it kick, kicks up again, and yeah, I don't know. Actually, I had it at number seven on my best of last year and i think if i were to rewatch it again uh, or make a, a new list or go over last year's list it would it would go up there i think it's one of those films that that the more times you see it uh, and the more you think about it it uh, it does really get better and better so um i'm actually watching it again myself uh, it's it's been a, it's been a few months so Do it. i'm glad I mean... it's on your list <laughs> <laughs> well like uh, yeah and the, the fact that the length of it is about the length of a single episode of like i don't know hbo television now you know they're not it's it's not that long so you can whack it out in a in a lunch break or something um i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation so i really <laughs> do apologize um but it's uh yeah it's a it's a thai film that um i saw on shudder uh called the medium by uh bajong pisanthanakun don't look at me. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, I can't get pronounced Thai names myself. So, um, do you know the film I'm talking about? I do, and and I've actually also got it on my Shutter to watch list. But it is it's it's quite long, isn't it? Like two and a half hours or, or something along. It's those just lines. over two hours. Um, but basically, right, it's it's produced by Na Hongjin, who did The Wailing, and that is. I'm going to put that at number one as my favorite film of all time. Um, really? Whoa. It's only it's only been out a few years, and I've seen it like six or seven times. Um, I just yeah, that that film just fucks so hard. And I love it. Um, so yeah, when I heard that he was producing this kind of found footage uh, witchcraft film from from Thailand, I was like, oh man, this is going to be so good, and uh, it didn't disappoint. The there are there are elements of it that don't entirely work for me. Like there, there are a few moments where the kind of documentary crew element of it kind of didn't ring true, and I wish it hadn't taken me out of the film, you know, in those uh. moments. But I'm telling you, man, the last say half an hour or so is some of the most insane genre, just gnarliness I've seen in years. It is so good, and. Uh, yeah, I've only watched it the one time, and I really need to check it out again. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll try that on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Honestly, I've, I've been wanting to see it for, for for a while. It's been on my shutter list myself, but it's just like how, with the with the baby myself. It's like it's films over two hours can get quite uh, 
hard to fit in. Uh, but so, but now that uh, because I was also slightly reluctant because I heard a few things for and against the film, and uh, but now I shall put it. I'll watch it tomorrow. I think. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what you think. I mean, like I said, you really could. If you really try and pick it apart, you really can. But I think the sum of its parts work really well eventually. Um, but again, you're right. It is a film where, because sometimes I have to stop start films as well. You know, being a parent of a young child, it's impossible. But uh, this one will really help you if you sit in one sitting, because I think you'll lose a lot of the tension if you wait and watch it in another day or something like that. But yeah, okay. Um, number six is um, Benny Chan's Raging Fire. Uh, have you checked this one out yet? I did. I, fi- I finally, I mean, I really wish I could have seen it on the big screen because, oh, uh, did you watch it on the big screen or? or, or no, no, or... no. Blu-ray. Uh, but at least Blu-ray, uh, yeah, I, don't know, I think I, I, I streamed it on, uh, or I, rent, I rented it. Uh, so I probably would look slightly better on, on a Blu-ray uh than, than streaming, but like not so much of a difference. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a bit just old fashioned, actually, of of uh, Hong Kong cinema for back. So it's quite nostalgic in, in that respect. And uh, I wasn't as because I was used to watch those those sort of films so much uh, back in the days. It, it feels like, well, yes, it's a film from back in the time, but it's not probably as good as some of the films. Maybe it's just because there hasn't been a film like that for a long time that it did stick out so much. There's Maybe definitely I an just... element of that. I yeah. think there's parts of it, again, like the medium, there's parts of it that really didn't work for me. Like there's a lot of the, the, the kind of melodrama between the cops, you know, and the very kind of righteous, like, because it's basically like an all cops are bastards film, really, isn't it? At, at its heart. But um, yeah, the, the the stuff that it does well is so good. I just like that very first siege part, you know, where the guys come in with the masks and just start shooting up that old mall. Ah, oh, that just—I I got goosebumps, and and some of the punch-ups. I mean, Donnie Yen is fifty-eight, but he's still an absolute <laughs> fucking beast. And apparently, he choreographed all of the all of the the action, the fighting. Yeah, he does. But um, have you seen like things like Flashpoint? Uh, uh, a long time ago, I saw Flashpoint. I don't think I saw. I haven't seen much of his stuff recently, apart from you know, like the Shang Chi and all that sort of stuff. Uh, because, like, you know. I mean, comparing it to something like Flashpoint, of course, you know, there's films way before Flashpoint that are, are a lot better, including of his own filmography. But, um, you know, I really like Flashpoint. And maybe I, I haven't seen Flashpoint in a while. And maybe it was the same thing. Like when I saw Flashpoint, it had been a while since I'd, I'd seen like a very, very good Hong Kong action film and Flashpoint blew, blew me away. And then I think Raging Fire is similar in that respect because there hasn't been that many decent ones over the last few years. And I think if you don't see something for a few years and you do watch something like Raging Fire, it does go, does make you, you know, wow, this is classic. But uh, if you think about it too much, you start to get a bit, but but then like, a lot of films were like that, you know, back in the days. Uh, but yeah, I do think it is really uh, a standout of, of Hong Kong cinema of the last few years, without a doubt. So yeah, it was oh, fun. And I think as well, obviously, being um, Benny Chan's final film, and as the credits roll, you get this beautiful kind of dedicated to him. You like the behind the scenes footage of him directing, and I started tearing up. I was felt really <laughs> stupid. I was just like, it was really nice. Um, yeah, to to have that be his kind of swan song, 
And like yeah, like you said, that there, there are shootouts, there are punch ups, there are street chases, there are car chases. Like the amount of people that get thrown through like stained glass windows or punched through walls and stuff. And that whole um, fight scene in the shanty town is almost kind of like you know that old boy sequence where it kind of goes through the hall and he's just. I just was so yeah electrified by it. I loved it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that one again soon. Okay, number five is um, one. There's there's two films by this director in my in my top ten this year. So it's uh, Ryosuke Amaguchi's um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Yeah, and I, I, I still cool haven't seen it. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, it's such a special film. I, again, I still haven't. I know on the last episode we talked about how I was going to look out for more of his films, and I still plan on doing that. I haven't done it yet. Um, but I think this one is quite in line with his usual style um, from what I've heard. Um, very character focused, very um, like emotionally intelligent. And the fact that there's three different stories with so many characters, it's, it, it's kind of amazing how it works. I mean, some of the elements are better than others. You know, um, I think you're really going to like um, Key's section, obviously, because you're friends with him. But but the other ones too are, are are really good, and they're kind of like they shine a light on on culture in general. But really, they're like they're quite bizarre little stories of these relationships and and the kind of power plays and the struggles and stuff. It's it's very clever, very clever stuff. And actually, actually, everyone that I've spoken to are, are prefer that over Drive My Car. Maybe the people I'm speaking to in Japan's, but I guess the Drive My Car is further up your list. So. Uh... But obviously, that's the one that's, that's that's getting the Academy Award uh, nominations and all the big, big uh, press overseas. Yeah, I I've, I know a few people that have the same reaction to it, and I, all I can say is I, I loved it. But Drive My Car absolutely floored me, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I I can't wait to see Drive My Car again. I really hope it 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 sweeps the floor with the Oscars. I don't know if it will. I don't think it has kind of like the the bite to it that. Um, parasite had you know uh well, it, we'll there's see. no parasite this year so uh it's all about competition isn't it so it depends what other films it's up against yeah i guess so i mean what's so the the, the french film that you said has been remaking one cut of the dead by the guy that made the artist is that going <laughs> to go to the oscars you think no it's, it's too it's too late the oscars are, are decided quite soon so yeah it's, it's it's but i don't know if that film is any is any good uh it hasn't played anyway yet so but anyway it's it's still that's not the type of film that, that gets an Oscar. You know, Oscars like to uh, have very serious uh, films that deal with uh, social satire. And I don't think uh, One Cut of the Dead remake in any respect uh, is aiming for that. And that's probably why it's playing at Sundance and maybe not uh, Venice or Berlin or any of the, the sort of three major festivals. Fair enough. Okay, well, number four was another um, uh, screener link that I managed to dig out of our Google Drive, which I was so chuffed with. Um I thought it, when I first saw the name, I thought it was going to be like a, a car Tokyo drift style kind of film, but it's not. It's a, it's a Hong Kong film by a, a director called Jun Lee called Drifting. Ah, oh, I haven't even. I think I might have just heard the name so, but I know nothing about it. Uh, well, the guy directed a film a few years back called Tracy, um, but it did really well. Apparently, I didn't catch that one. Um, but basically, this is a, a really beautifully realized account of the, the homelessness and addiction in Hong Kong. 
um, a guy comes out of prison and is back on the streets and kind of gets welcomed in by the community. But he's he's addicted to heroin. Um, he's got serious trauma from losing his son to suicide. Um, there's so much stuff going on. And then uh, the the Hong Kong government go to clean the streets up and end up throwing away his and a bunch of other homeless people's stuff in the process. And um, they kick up a fuss about it and it ends up going to court. And, you know, there's kind of like these these social workers that help them and stuff. It's a really, really amazing story. Um, and I've never known how to pronounce this surname. Maybe you can help me here, but uh, the surname NG. Ah, uh, that's another one that I'm, I'm, I'm in the same, the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Francis NG, <laughs> who's in uh, all of the Johnny Toe films and stuff, he's in the lead role. And I'm telling you, man, this is a career defining performance from him. It's just astonishing. And I know you, you often, I often like um, gush about these sort of performances and then you go, well, that's just acting. I'm like, yeah, I know. But <laughs> the way he holds his body and the way he shapes his face and the way he expresses his lines, it's such a character that he creates. Uh, it really is amazing. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll see. I'll see. And, uh, and, uh, I've always thought Hong Kong cinema, especially of Lee, it's a bit overacting. Uh, I mean, it's very, that's that's just sort of the style. Um, I didn't find that in this one, genuinely. You didn't, okay. Um, maybe you'll, you'll find differently. It, it's got, um, yeah, it's really heartfelt. And I mean, my partner is a homelessness prevention officer for our local council. So she works a lot with, with these people in similar situations. And she said it really rang true, a lot of it. And she was really moved by it. And yeah, I think it's it's going to be an easy sell. I hope it gets a big release here. Again, like I, I doubt it'll be on many screens, but it really affected me. I liked it a lot. And again, it's one of those films that's really upsetting at times, but it, it ends up being quite heartwarming, essentially in its messaging and, and what it says. All right, we're in the top three now, buddy. And right. the third one was a tough one for me, right? Because there's only a few films... Um, all three of these I gave five stars and they're the only films that I gave five stars to this year uh, and one of them, the, well the one that I'm about to mention now is actually a short film um, which I don't usually put in my top ten <laughs> but I just for sheer kind of uh, enjoyment and um, reverence I have for it, I had to put it in and yeah, it's Toshiaki Toyoda's Go Seppuku Yourselves which I'm wearing the t-shirt right now yeah, go do it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I just, I love this flick. I, I, I posted about it the other day and said, I'm just going to rewatch it just to make sure that I actually do feel the way I do. And I, I really, really do. I just think the way, the way it was funded, the way he, he, um, he shot it, the locations, the performances, the, the monologue that he wrote, the, the, those final moments are so satisfying where Key is just dripping in in blood. Sorry, spoilers if anyone hasn't seen it. Um, yeah, if anything, I just wish it was a feature film. I reckon he could have dragged this one out for 80, 90 minutes and it would have been awesome. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I know that he, w- he would have loved to and it was only just because he crowdfunded it and he, he the way he crowdfunded it was, depending on the amount of money is how long the film was going to be. And he could only make as much as much money as to make a film that ended up being twenty six minutes long. So, you know, hopefully, if if 
maybe things cool down with all his arrest situations. He can get the money to make uh, to make a new one. But it is it's getting played a lot. So actually, I'm going to see it um, in two weeks' time. It's playing all three films from the, that uh, trilogy. Are playing with a boost sound, sort of the volume up uh, full max um, at a cinema in in Shinjuku that has the capability to do the boost sound screenings and um, uh, watch all three of them in a row. Uh, on uh in two weeks so uh, yes i wish you were you were able to to be there in tokyo for this uh occasion oh man i wish it too but basically what i do is i i put it on my playstation and um i plug in my gaming headset so it's like the sound is booming anyway it's so good and yeah the seppuku pistols is so like just it's just brilliant. And yeah, any film that I can watch in, in under half an hour, I'll be happy with. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually put shorts in here, but I thought, you know, considering it's the third window films podcast as well. <laughs> so don't do it for, 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 for my sake. Well, no, like I said, if I gave it five stars, you know, and there wasn't many that I did that this year. So yeah, it had to be in there. All right. The next one was such an amazing surprise to me. Um, it's a director called Soi Chang uh, and the film's called Limbo. I, can see you I haven't seen it. I, I'm nodding because I've been trying to watch it for ages. And it's been a really hard film, actually, to watch for buyers uh, because of some piracy issues to do with the film, especially when it played at Udine, um, when they went online during during COVID. Uh, the, the sales agents have been really strict about letting people watch the film. Uh, and I've been trying to... I mean, I'm a buyer myself, uh, but... It, it was something I really had trouble watching and then it sort of, I forgot about it. Uh, but I've been, yeah, everyone's really going on about it. I love Soi Cheng for, from, for years. I've, I've watched all of his films previously and, uh, you know, yes, apparently it is it is that good, um, as you, you say with your five stars. I mean, yeah, I've been told I need to check out Dog Bite Dog and uh, SPL2 and, yeah, there's a load. I, I Again, I haven't seen any of his stuff, so I really need to check it out. Uh, he was a real um, because when he came out, especially you know, you know, sort of after Johnny Toe and all that. I mean, it really was quite a refreshing take on uh, on Hong Kong cinema, very gritty and and very violent and very stylized uh, in a way that that was sort of lacking uh, at the time because Hong Kong cinema was sort of fading out. Uh, and he's he's a yeah, great director, and actually he went down downhill a little bit, and uh, that was Limbo was the film that everyone's saying has has got him back uh, to what he's doing his best. So. I do need to go. I do need to watch it. Perfect. I mean, yeah, it is one of the most depressing films I've seen all year. So, of course, you know, I loved it. It's just bleak as hell. Um, it's all beautifully. I mean, I, I remember seeing a trailer back years ago and it was in color and now it's in black and white. So it's obviously been retroactively put into monochrome, but it works so well. Like I've never seen Hong Kong streets like shot like that before. It gives it this really dystopian feel, like these trash-filled streets that just drip with stench, and like it's really crazy. Um, and yeah, you've got Gordon Lamb in the lead that just smashes it. Um, and there's this newcomer. I've, I, I, I can't really pronounce her name. Liu Yace, I think it is. Um, as this character Wong To, she this this poor girl just gets the shit kicked out of her for two hours straight. But she really, really owns that role. And uh, it, amazing. Yeah. A truly, truly amazing film. You'll love it. And yeah, okay. So number one, number one, you know what it is. It's Drive My oh, yeah, Car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
like I said, I, I saw it at Cambridge Film Festival. I'd seen four films previously that day. Uh, the final film was Drive My Car at 8 p.m. It's a three-hour film. I was knackered. I was a bit tipsy. Um, and I just settled into it, and it just washed over me. It was so clever, so funny, um, just so beautifully realized, really surprising. Uh, I love how it was written. I love how it was paced. I wouldn't... The people I was with were kind of like, kind of lukewarm on it, I guess would be the way to put it. And I just said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a minute out of it. I loved all of it and I cannot wait to see it again. The only other time I've had that feeling of just like, wow, I just experienced something really special was um, with Burning, um, which was at the film festival the previous year. So uh, yeah, I, I know everyone that I know that's seen it since um, has had a similar reaction and from the sounds of it, I think you might prefer Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, but yeah, for me, it's uh, I'm driving my car all the way. And I haven't seen either of them, and uh, I really should have watched them before I made my my best ten. But then at the same time, I don't really watch films that I don't have have no chance of distributing because uh, maybe I just don't really have the time. And 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 especially with Japanese films, I mean, obviously I don't have the chance to distribute uh, Hollywood films, but um. You know, that's not really work for me. And when it's Japanese films, it is sort of, I feel a sort of work feeling uh, when I'm watching them. Um, I can't really, maybe because I'm watching so many poor films, it's it's obviously, I don't really watch the films that I want to watch. I, I would just watch everything because that's right. trying to find the, the good films out of there. And and if it's a film that, like those Hamaguchi films, that um obviously I have no chance to distribute then i just i just don't watch them and uh and then everyone comes up and tells me how great grab my car and all these are but uh <laughs> I, I so i i haven't seen them and uh, i mean I, maybe i i will at some point but then again i've got so many other films that i i need to watch so uh, who knows but I, I should because then people are gonna say why didn't you put this in your top 10 and i say well i'm sorry <laughs> i haven't well, seen them i mean likewise i mean i your top 10 i i heard of a few of them and a lot of them have been like really well received but I, I haven't seen any of them so i was really excited to hear 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 what you've been up to this year i mean the problem obviously other than the caveat that i don't watch a lot of those major studio films or the big films like uh, the, the the drive my car and all that is also that i tend to watch a lot of films that obviously don't make it overseas and, and including films that haven't even been released in japan yet yeah. so for example my best films of 12, 2020 are a lot of films that are are were released in 2021 because obviously I can see films before they're released because of, of, of my work. So um, some of these films haven't been released overseas. Some have, uh, but uh, yes, uh, going, starting at number 10, most of them obviously are, are as I mentioned, are, are quite, I prefer to watch smaller films and, and therefore this, this, they're even less known. Uh, but uh, number 10 is a film called Joint, which is a, a uh, debut film it's a yakuza film but it's done in a sort of michael mann way it's very um or michael mann david fincher type style like oh, wow. it's it's very meticulous um but not not yakuza like a uh, big guns and all that but in the way of like uh, a business sense you know that yakuza right. is a business more than there's like a takashi kitano film i mean uh, uh mafia and everywhere you know it's all about money yeah and it's it's a very meticulous film about you know, money and money laundering and the and and the gangs, but done on like a tiny budget. Um, like I think the budget was about uh, 
uh, $50,000 uh, or sort of £30,000 or something like that. But it's, it looks really, really well. I mean, it does have, have its faults, but I think you have to really have to give credit to what it's trying to achieve. I mean, Michael Mann on a, on a $50,000 budget by my first time director is... Uh, it's it's very interesting. So despite nice. it, despite despite its faults, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe it'll, maybe it'll, it'll get to some small film festivals around the world. Who knows? Um, uh, number nine is a film called Just Remembering, which won the Audience Award at the Tokyo Film Festival. Um, Matsui Daigo is a uh, young director, but he's done quite a lot of films. Um, uh, he did films like Japanese Girls Never Die, uh, uh, Handball's Drive. Um, he does quite a lot. He's only about. 40 or something like that but he's, he's got quite a decent filmography and he's quite a talented director of making different films and, and different variety and this is a, it's a it's a it's a love story um um that that repeats the same day over and over again um okay. different things in, in these couple's lives but it's all told on the same day across many years right and and it's 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 with Ito Saidi, who is the, the actress from Love and Other Cults and she's oh, such amazing. a phenomenal actress that I think if it hadn't been her, maybe I wouldn't have liked the film as much. But she's such a phenomenal actress that it really makes it a, a brilliant film. I've been hoping to see her in something else since then. So, yeah. She's really big now in Japan. and But she is a, a phenomenal actress. So hopefully she gets more great, great roles uh, like this. Uh, and, and I think because her agency are a very, very good, well-run management agency, they are more focused on quality product over than just like being in some crap to make a, a buck. So uh, I think she, they're, they're very smart about also the, the films that she's, uh, she gets in. So that's a film that I'm sure will probably play a lot of like Japan foundation type film festivals. Uh, um, she's also in a film that was actually, it's a Netflix original film that has a very similar story to this. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name, but um, it's uh, Moriyama Mirai from Fish Story and her, and and uh, it's a Netflix original Japanese film, so I'm sure it's available worldwide. And it's a very similar romance story about two people that um, and then their lives and 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 their lives before and after a relationship. Um, is that so, out already, or is that upcoming? Do you know? I know. I think it's out uh, okay. worldwide on Netflix. Uh, so I'm sure there aren't that many Japanese. There's only about five Japanese films that that uh, that, are, that make it each year worldwide on Netflix. So I'm sure it's yeah. not hard to to find. Um, uh, number eight is Ushiku, uh, Ushiku, which is a documentary by uh, a guy called uh, Thomas Ash, who um, he made a brilliant documentary called A2BC years ago about the Fukushima um, effect on children who um, were, were found to have uh, cancer, and he's a he's a a fantastic he's a westerner living in japan who's been living in japan for a long time and makes very very uh very great documentaries that look at aspects of japanese society that people don't usually the japanese for, for sure unless it's like uh, uh kazuo or something that uh, that make uh, quite controversial documentaries right. and this is about uh the immigration uh, problems in Japan and people that are locked in, and, and, and limbo in immigration centers trying to um, as get refugee status in Japan. So it's a very, right. very uh, now type uh, documentary that uh, gets released in Japan uh, next month. And, and I, I played it at the London East Asian Film Festival um, uh, in London a couple months ago and it's playing film festivals here and there. One Nippon Connection, but it's uh, I'm sure it'll be available somewhere or another um relatively soon great uh seventh is a film called journey beyond the night which is a 
very small um, sort of genre type horror, but horror in the Kurosawa Kiyoshi type sense. Like uh, it's a, you don't know if it's just like a straight drama, then it has these sort of strange horror elements to it, but it's a mix max of genres. It's very low budget, but really unique and uh, well unique i say like it's it's like kurosawa kiyoshi type film yeah you caught my attention straight away with that yeah, it, yeah. it's it's uh, i like like a lot of these i don't know if it'll get out there um too much to be honest but um it's it's yeah i think it's uh it's this the director also made a film like um uh, i forgot the name it's something uh it's something called uh jellyfish something or another which is a film like a, about hacking Okay. And that that film wasn't popular anywhere, but it's a, a very it's quite a decent film, and I think he's uh, uh, could be quite uh, quite going somewhere as a director. Um, but Journey Beyond the Night is yes, this uh, this sort of starts off as like a, a romantic film and then ends up being like a horror film. Awesome! I yeah, that sounds right up my street. <laughs> yeah, it's something you should go in like uh, yeah, just like it's very low budget, so just just let it let it flow and not not read up much about it. But if you if you were to hear about it somewhere, I do suggest uh, watching it. Um, the film in six places is a film that um, a very unique, interesting film because it's massive budget film that nobody saw. <laughs> that can't be good. Yeah, um, the thing is, is that it was a film financed by Yakuza Money. Um, it's oh, called wow. uh, Outlaw Burai. And it's this like huge budget, like an independent massive budget film, right? Like no studios. Um, this company called LDH, who are actually a uh, a management company for idols, they they manage a band called Exile, and they make they produce films. And one of these big uh, idols is the is the main actor in this film. But otherwise, it's uh, yeah, it's like it's got a bit of a dodgy background to it. Apparently it's, it's a true story about um, uh, a Yakuza and maybe he financed it or, or some people connected to him financed the film. So it's big budget. So it's, it's a period film that takes place over many generations. And considering, I mean, it is an independent film. It's beautifully, beautifully well-made and mm. the, the um, costumes and, and the set design and everything are I mean, the budget really does shine through, so it's 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 surprising how just nobody knows about it. It opened in like this this tiny cinema called K Cinema in Shinjuku, which which is like a seventy seat cinema that um only plays super super low budget films. And uh, yeah, it's it's sort of it hasn't played anywhere overseas. I don't think anybody's really heard about it. But um, I'm looking at the it, poster now. It looks crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's like V Cinema, but like massive budget v cinema film i mean uh the director made like uh a lot of big films um big studio films and also some v cinema but he hasn't really made anything in a while and uh yeah it's it's a very interesting film because it's 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 not like a yakuza like uh it's got a bit of elements of of, of guns and this and that but it's sort of like a sort of nostalgic like uh uh, charming and comedy at times, but also a bit of action at times. Uh, it's... Well, if it's funded by the guy it's based on, then he's basically going to make himself look like he probably, you know, <laughs> yeah, he rose tinted glasses. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, it's a fun film. I mean, it's it's a very sort of like charming film, uh, and maybe that's why it's probably won't, wouldn't be as appreciated uh, mm. overseas because it's not like an obvious classic Yakuza gun gun shoot 'em up type film like a Kitano film. But in Japan, I think a lot of people that, that saw it really loved it. Uh, but yes, nobody really saw it. That's, that's unfortunately. Nice. Okay. 
Uh, in fifth is uh, One Summer Story from uh, Shuichi Okita, who is director of Woodsman on the Rain and um, oh yeah, and a lot of films that uh, I've released uh, of his. He's a very he's a, he's a, he's like a type of Ozu Ozu type uh, makes very classic Japanese charming films, and this is a film uh, uh, about a uh, about a, a teenager, and uh, it's a very sort of family type oriented films uh, quite long as all of his films are but it's a charming film all his films are very charming and and uh, heartwarming and uh, it, this one I'm sure will also play a lot of Japan Foundation film festivals uh, worldwide over the next uh, year so it shouldn't be so hard to watch I don't think it'll get distributed but it's a uh, it's yeah if you like films like Woodsman of the Raid and, and uh, Story mm. of Your Nose then it's it's that sort of charming film nice uh, fourth is uh, is uh, a film from from uh, that I saw at Tokyo Film X uh, called Graveyard of Youth, and uh, I don't know if if many people will end up being able to see it. In fact, it played at Tokyo Film X, but I can't see. Don't know if anybody actually watched it because I looked on Letterboxd and like all these places, and like nobody's written anything about it. <laughs> no, I mean normally, like even if it's if some people have seen it, like like some word gets out about it on the internet, but just nothing has gotten out about it, which uh, wow, I, I'm su- surprised. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, there's no poster, is there? It's just a no. picture of some people having pizza or something. <laughs> yes, which I because I make this this uh, best of uh, list myself, and I want to put posters up, but there's nothing, and there's even I had to because I put all the images in poster size. The only photo that I could find was like a 16 by nine widescreen shot, and it was very hard to. Uh, to cut it so that it could wasn't uh, I mean the center is like a pizza yes as you can see uh, but but uh, it's the director made uh, he, he makes like very very he made a film called the um, uh, the girl uh, the dork the girl and the douchebag and another film called Tokyo Playboy Club and there he he makes those very 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 unlikable characters right and he always puts himself in in in, in the films and uh, are playing a very playing very unlikable people. And they've always been a bit too much for me and a bit too, just too, too unlikable. Just a bit of a vortex of love kind of situation. Yeah, but not as entertaining, like a bit like, uh, just like, uh, me type, <laughs> uh, type <Right>. film. And uh, <laughs> this one actually, it's got a mix. It's got, it's got that sort of elements, but it's also, uh, it's sort of two stories, two films as one. And, and one is quite, uh, quite funny at times. And, uh, there's a loads of different different aspects to it that make it a very interesting film, and uh, but I don't think anybody there'll be a chance to watch it anywhere. So uh, I apologise. <laughs> well, you'll release it right in the box set in a few years' uh, time. I won't, I won't release it, uh, so I do apologise <laughs> when people say, "How can I watch these films?" and I, I say, I, "I'm sorry, you know, I I I, I just put in my favourite, and I I can't help." Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but the, yes, going to the top three, uh, the third one, uh, missing. Um, this is released in Japan. Uh, uh, the beginning of uh, 2022, it played at um, Busan Film Festival, where there was world premiere. And this is um, a guy called uh, Shinzo Katayama, the director who made a film called Siblings of the Cape, which uh, I loved. Uh, it was a super independent film from a few years ago that deals with uh, um, a guy who's who um, prostitutes his uh, disabled sister out. So right, um, wow. <laughs> quite, but done as like a sort of a black comedy. So oh, it boy. really, really split audiences. And I know loads of people that hate it, uh, but I know loads of people that love it. And it was a really big independent hit in Japan. It's really well shot, um, really well made, 
low budget film dealing with this very 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 controversial subject and um it yeah it was a very u- unique film that and he what was that called sorry siblings of the cape but you also hear it calling siblings of the cave uh okay. there's two two different uh translations of it uh, in english out there i don't right, know which yeah, it, it's it's uh, it played some film festivals here and there and the other and and, but in Japan it was very popular. But he was the assistant director for for Bung Joon Ho. Oh wow! Uh, even though he's he's Japanese, uh, but he uh, lived in Korea and worked for worked with Bung Joon Ho. And this film, his new film, Missing, uh, my my number three, is um very much like a Bung Joon Ho type film. Perfect. Uh, Yes, maybe too much, unfortunately. Uh, I think that's the only fault that, that I have. It. If you know that he's the assistant director of Bong Joon-ho, you think, yes, he, he's made a Bong Joon-ho film. Uh, but for for a Japanese film, it's very, very good. If for, maybe for a Korean film, it's not so good, but uh, it is a Japanese film. Wow. I mean, so when you say Bong Joon-ho, though, it's because uh, obviously he makes lots of different films. Is it like more like Mother and... Memories of Murder, maybe, or is it you know one of the latest stuff like uh, Okchar? Or... No, it's more like it's a it's a, a thriller and a, a sort of killer film, but like films like Mother that deals more with the human side of it and not so much. So it's it's a yes, it's a thriller, but it's also a human drama. Nice. Um, so it's very similar to, to yes, to some more something like Mother or or, uh, or Memories of Murder than. Oh. Um, well, they're they're my top two Bong films, so this is sold to me. I mean, it was picked up by. Uh, it was initially handled by uh, its its production company in Japan, or a big company, but they sold the rights to a big sales agent, one of those sales agents like uh, that get the films into the big film festivals. So, hopefully, with them, it might have a chance of getting into somewhere like Berlin or, or one of these big film festivals that help get it out there. So we'll see. I mean, maybe may that maybe programmers. Just say, well, well, if we want to watch a Bong Joon Ho film, we'll watch a Bong Joon Ho film, and not this. And that might be the problem why it might not get out there. But it's it's quite a for a Japanese film. It's it's very it's very very good. Uh, it's good looking, great acted, and and uh, it's got a great feel to it. So I think it should get out there. Missing is its title. Nice. Uh, number two is Onoda, the film that I that I will be releasing, uh, uh, pro- hopefully in cinemas in April. So. Um, uh, people will have a better, more chance to see that, uh, and it's also been released in France and in, in will be released in Germany and all the big places. So it's a it's a big, big, uh, big, big film. Great looking, uh, very entertaining, even though it's three hours long uh, uh, war film. So hope people will have the chance to see at least one of the films on this <laughs> list. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it looks it looks great. I love the poster, and like I said, it looks like I said it's got like a lighter. Lighter tone than I was expecting, maybe from what you were explaining. I mean, because it's 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 very long, it and it does yes, it does keep it quite e- easy to watch. I mean, some parts are quite are quite depressing and some parts are quite funny. Uh, um, it's really really well made, and I think if it had been done by a Japanese director, it wouldn't be anywhere. I mean, obviously Japanese know this story very well, and uh, I think it would have been a lot more complicated for a Japanese director to make a film about this story because uh, it's a story that has been embellished over the years and that his the character himself is is he's got different ways he's been looked at uh some people think he he's a liar and he did awful things and some people think his story is amazing um but i think a young french director uh um has a different viewpoint onto the film and makes it uh very very 
entertaining and uh, I think uh, yes I think a film also that, that needs to be seen on the big screen so hopefully I can get it to cinemas uh, I oh, am talking man. to some can't wait for that that sounds awesome and uh, number, number one, one is is a film called Intolerance which is a very 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 depressing uh, um, film about the 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 concept of taking responsibility in Japan um, about uh, a shop owner who sees a girl shoplifting and he chases her out and she gets run over and he's the person she gets run over by a car and he's the person who's gets blamed for for everything uh, and you learn all these backstories about uh, the person who gets killed and and him and uh, it's a very very Japanese. Uh, the whole concept of taking responsibility in, in Japan is a very, very is very different to um to Western cultures. In Japan, right. whether it's your fault or not, you have to apologize and take responsibility. And it's uh, it looks at that sort of aspect of Japanese culture. And uh, the director Keisuke Yoshida has made he's quite he was the used to be an assistant director to Tsukamoto Shinya. Wow, there's a lot of assistant directors here on this list. Yes, uh, uh, and he's relatively young. He's probably about 45 or something, and it has quite a good catalogue of different films, uh, films like uh, Café Asobe, which is a, a, a sort of charming comedy from about uh, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, the, the Workhorse and the Big Mouth, which is uh, a comedy that I put in my top 10 when it came out many years ago. Uh, also some more dramatic films like Himinao, uh, oh yeah, I've seen yes. that. That oh man, that is that is such a bizarre film. Um, yeah, it's it's all over. It's a very tonally sort of all over the place type film. Uh, yeah, and he, he did a boxing film this year as well called Blue, which I wasn't that big a fan of, but it, a lot of people have liked. Uh, but he's got he's 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 quite a talented director because he can handle so many different uh, genres in so many different ways. So, but I think this is his best film without a doubt, and. Uh, I tried to pl- to bring it out to the London East Asian Film Festival when I was programming for them, but the the sales agent were asking for like absurd amounts of money for the film, so that will be the only reason why it it can't get out there more is uh, just the, the sales agent asking for silly money for it. So, yeah, damn it. Well, yeah, I, I'd heard about this one, and again, the poster is is so gnarly. You can tell, like, just taking one look at it, it looks like. Well, yeah, a title like Intolerance and then that poster of so much pain in their faces and crying and stuff. It it doesn't look like a laugh a minute. But yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very heavy film and uh, I don't usually watch that many sort of very heavy films, but it's quite an easy watch for what it is. So I, that's, that's why I like it so much and that's why I put it at my, my number one. Amazing. That's so cool, man. Thank you. Well, those are 10 films that I need to check out. And it, it's almost frustrating to know that, you, like you said, I might not be able to get the chance to watch like half of them. But yeah. Well, hopefully, like, you know, Japan Foundation and all these, especially with COVID, actually, it's it's allowed a lot of film festivals to go online, which is, makes it easier for, for people who wouldn't have the chance to go to a local cinema or, or who can use a VPN and see something overseas to, to see these sort of films when they wouldn't have had the chance. So, you know, I, I'd say it's a lot, you have a lot more of a chance nowadays to watch some of these films than, uh, than you would have in the past. Yeah, for sure. Nice one. Well, look, that's it. I mean, this is going to be our longest episode yet, which <laughs> I don't know if you uh, were expecting that. I, I feel really bad actually, because I had to delay the recording a bit because of my daughter and I know it's it's probably like one or two in the morning now where you are, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, you poor, poor man. I promise we'll start recording a bit earlier in future. Um, before we go, though, let's just tease what we got coming up on the next one, right? It's <laughs> talking about Sukamoto. Yes, uh, and for talking about Sukamoto, we need to have the person who has done so many audio commentaries for for my releases and also has written uh, books about Sukamoto and is uh, a very, very, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable person. That's uh, Tom Mez, uh, who was one of the founders of Midnight Midnight Eye and one of the uh, yes, the ultimate Sukamoto knowledgeable men. That's so cool, man. Yeah. So for the, those of you who know, then you know, like Tom Mez is awesome. It's going to be so much fun to hear his his thoughts. But yeah, if you don't know, he's a, he's a film critic. He's like a published author, isn't he? He's really well respected in the industry. And like you said, he, yeah, he founded Midnight Eye. That's so cool. So yeah, we'll be talking about uh, uh, Hiroko the Goblin, which I'm going to watch next week. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll go through... Every other Sukamoto film you've probably released of his as well, right? Well, that could also bring us to another two-hour two-hour <laughs> show. So uh, we'll try we'll try to cut it down. But yeah, fantastic. Well, look, it's been a it's been a crazy year, and yeah, I just want to thank you, Adam. Really, I can't believe when I look back on everything that's happened this year, it's 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 been rough. But I still remember just just when I started talking to you and. And and just how this relationship developed and where we're at now, and uh, yeah, I'm just so thankful for it. It's it's been wild. So yeah, I don't know, in, <laughs> don't know how it makes you feel. It's probably a bit uncomfortable, but yeah, certainly for me, it's it's getting to know you has been the highlight of my year, and uh, I cannot wait to to go through 2022 um, with Third Window Films. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to it, and uh, yes, let's. Uh... Hopefully we can make things a little tighter when we when we when we when we make these podcasts. <laughs> Definitely. Well, yeah. So we're going to be releasing this just before uh, the end of the year. So hopefully, like a day or two before <laughs> New Year's, and then yeah, I'm hopefully we'll get the next one out. I'd say like mid January, right? Is the goal? Yes, let's hope so. Do you know when's the release date for Hiroko? Twenty fourth of January. Okay, great. Well, it, we'll we'll vouch that it'll be certainly before then. Um. If you don't already, be sure to follow Adam on Twitter is at Third Window, and on uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all of that is as Third Window Films. And you can find me on on Twitter as Benji Box, uh, spelt with a Y. And yeah, that's been it. So take care. I hope you have a lovely end of the year, and we'll catch you in 2022 here on the Third Window Films podcast. Thank you all. Up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right. The third window from the right. Two flights up. That's the one with the shape pulled down. That's the